Well, thank you very much, brother. That was very good, extremely powerful. I enjoyed that immensely. Well, now open the floor up to uh, uh, brothers of the church that have questions on this topic for Nate. Please raise your hand. Please stand when the microphone is given to you. Logan here will bring you the microphone. Alan Bonifat. That was excellent, Nate. And I think that every church leader in the country should make this mandatory listening on Christian Landmark. Uh, I think it's a very important lesson, all of it. And I appreciate your cautions and your warnings and your admonition to be consistent, all of those things. But I did want to point out one thing, or actually you said this, but underline this. 1 Thessalonians 4.10 says, but we urge you brethren. It does not say, but we urge you sisters. 5.14 says, we exhort you brethren. Warn those who are unruly or idle. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother. It is not the responsibility of women to earn a living for the home. Now, I recognize that there's some uh, extenuating circumstances where that might become necessary. My own son-in-law has been in a terrible work accident and that may be somewhat necessary in his life, their lives. I'm not opposed to women working either, but this is the responsibility of Christian men. And young men in America can't figure out what they wanna be and what they wanna do and all of that. And I don't know where all the fault lies about that, but we need to do something about it. And when a Christian man allows his, or insists that his wife work two jobs, have the babies, take care of the babies, while he stays home and pretends he's playing Mr. Mom, that's a sin. And I appreciated your talk very much. Thank you. Yes, I, I would agree. The responsibility falls on the man to ensure that the home is provided for in all of the ways that are required. Um, now, I've simplified this in my own mind. Now, when it comes, I remember growing up and always hearing that question, can a wo woman work outside the home? And really, when you think about it, it's kind of a weird question that much of history wouldn't have even understood the concept of, of course the woman worked. You look at Proverbs 31, and the women were helping the home and even making an income in some ways. But the question, and this may sound strange at first, but whether a woman can work, the answer is the same as the man. Now, the responsibility falls on the man as he's leading his home. But if we ask, well, can the woman work? We have to ask, what's her responsibility? Can she be, does, does this job or career hinder her ability to be a godly wife and a godly mother? And if it does, then no, she should not take that job. Now, that being said, what we don't talk about is the man should ask the exact same question. If this job or this career is going to hinder his ability to train up his children in the admonition of the Lord, or to be the head of his home, or to be able to lead his family, then he shouldn't take that job or that career. If we put the first things first and we recognize as men and women that we have responsibilities to the Lord that will make us better in all the areas of life anyway, 
then we'll be able to figure those things out and take care of our homes. But yes, it is as the heads of the home, this is the primary responsibility of the man to see that these things are happening. And it is not right to put that burden off onto the woman as the man and neglect your responsibility to do that. Any more than it's okay to just shove off the raising of the kids as far as it's the woman's job to teach them and to train them and to te read the Bible to them. That's an instruction given to fathers too. It's fathers who are told to train up their children in righteousness and admonition of the Lord. Many men have just thought that's woman's work. We don't just throw off our responsibilities on the women. I think Alan's right. When we do, that's, that's sinful. It's ungodly. Clint DeFrance and then Aubrey Smith. That was excellent. Thank you. Extremely helpful. So I have a very personal and kind of a confessional question. Uh, I've been accused of a lot of things and I think unfairly criticized at times in my life, but I have been accused of being a workaholic. And I don't want to say that, but I think it's a fair accusation when I look at how I have allowed my responsibilities to make me a negligent husband and a negligent father. And it was easier, I think, for me to ignore the problem when I was just a negligent husband. But it's harder when you're a negligent father and you think about the opportunities that you're letting slip away. And so I think a lot more about that right now. I'm, I am trying to do better. I've been trying to do better for a long while. But uh, I struggle. I'm a preacher. I think it's important to say that. I mean, everybody here knows that. But he talked about secular workers. I struggle because I, I think my work is very noble and very important. I struggle because I feel like a failure because so many important things for the church are not being done in my world and in the world. And I feel tempted to try to do more and more and more all the time. Now, Shahe is my best friend told me that I fail to distinguish between the important and the urgent. And I think he's right. I think that I fail in that. And I overcrowd my schedule. And then I always have to reorganize it. And then I just do the same thing over and over again. So do you have any advice for me uh, to learn that skill of distinguishing between the important and the urgent and learning to be satisfied in the work that I do, or is there something else that I should consider? I, I don't feel qualified to give advice. I'm in the same boat as a preacher and a father that's trying to figure out that balance. And I, I'm glad you brought this up because I think this is important, especially for a crowd like this. We've got a lot of preachers uh, church leaders here. Um, so think of, I think of the eldership qualifications. And some of the first that we read about are a man's family responsibilities. And, and I do not want to derail this Q&A into debate about eldership qualifications. But it is very clear that there is a family aspect. He is to be a godly husband and a godly father. 
And I believe that he is going to continue to be a godly husband and a godly father even after he becomes an elder. He is a man that has shown himself to be able to become a mature Christian while also taking care of his family. He didn't become a mature Christian by neglecting his family. He became a mature Christian by taking care of his family. And the church should never, never expect a man to do the Lord's work at the expense of his family's welfare. It just should not happen. Now this is one of the, and this, so this is not personal advice to you, this is advice for all of us. Our congregations, I'm just speaking very generally, I'm not accusing Rice Road or anybody's, but our, our congregations have to get better at doing the work. It is not the preacher's job to do the work. It is not the elder's job to do all the work. And if we are hurting people's families because we are not doing the work, we have a problem. But that's what many men have had to do. And it's very tempting because, yes, it's clear to see if I'm neglecting my family because I'm just making money as a banker, that's a problem. But it's much easier to justify neglecting my family because I'm doing the Lord's work. Is it the Lord's work to let my children be raised without their father? Is it the Lord's work to make my wife do the work? No. And I just have to be able to make that decision. But congregations have to back men up in that. They have to help with the work, and they have to not expect that of a man. So I say those not against you. I think we all probably face that in some way. But it has to, it has to be better. I don't know. You've traveled a lot more than I have. You've been busier than I have. But I don't know that personally, however many people I baptize or congregations I can help, I don't know how I will reconcile that in the end. If I feel like because of that, my kids are lost. Amen. I won't do it. And we just have to, I'm sorry. But we shouldn't expect it. That was an excellent presentation. The discussion's been great, too. I appreciate all, all of you, brethren. But uh, I don't remember exactly where I came across this information. It seems like it may have been that uh, Vody Bauckham book on family worship uh, and how fathers should lead worship in the home, singing and praying together and studying together, what have you. It may have actually been a conversation with Clint that, uh, Clint may have pointed this out to me. I don't remember exactly where I got the information. But uh, from what I understand, there were some denominations a couple hundred years ago who would actually disfellowship a man, or at least some churches. Uh, they would d disfellowship a man for not leading family worship in the home, not s studying with his children on a regular basis. They would actually check up with men. And I just wanted to... Uh, of course, that's sort of extreme, maybe. Uh, but I wanted to see what your thoughts were about discipline from this other standpoint, from the workaholic standpoint, as opposed to lazy. I don't know if I have the perfect answer because I don't think we see, well, we don't see an example of that, of, we don't see an example of a workaholic, however we end up defining that, disciplined in the church. 
Also, in the first century, we do have to realize the difference is you have slaves, not employees. Now, that actually, we should take the freedom of that. If your job is causing you to work too much, we have the wonderful ability to go get a different job. I don't know how they handled some of that when you have servants um, that may not have even had the ability. So I would be very, very hesitant about practicing a formal church discipline. Now, that being said, um, that same phrase that Paul uses in Thessalonians about do not associate with them is used in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11 there. And the first list, the first is not to associate with any brother who is sexually immoral. But the second one is greedy. I've always thought that's pretty hard. I don't know how we ever determined that a man's so greedy that we actually practice disfellowship. I don't know that I've ever heard of it, and I would hate to have to lead that case. But that right there, and I think that's probably one of the main causes of workaholism, is probably greed. Not, not all, but one of the main causes. How you quantify that as a congregation, I think, is something a congregation itself is going to have to address. But I do think, even if we don't go all the way to formal discipline, we've got to get better about speaking up on these issues and loving our brothers enough to say, Brother, you're a hard worker. You're a great worker. You've provided in many ways for your friend. You've done these good things. But you need to consider what you're doing. You need to consider the reason you're not coming to church, the reason you're not studying with your family. You need to think about these issues. And I do think what, you know, with this situation of immorality, Paul said, okay, this immoral situation, basically next time you meet, you take care of this. To Thessalonians, he talked to them, he wrote them. Uh, in five verses, uh, the end of five, he says, you admonish the idol, you uh, encourage the weak, and he says, you be patient with them all. There's a patience with whether it's laziness or I think this workaholic idea but if a person shows over time they're not going to change, be it they're lazy or they're just more focused on work, we've got to make it clear at some point this is not what a godly man does. I know that's, that doesn't exactly answer it, but... Greg Gay for a final question. So for many years I worked at a regular job and preached and if Cassie were here, my ribs would be hurting no matter which side she'd be hitting me hard so so this is always a difficult thing what what folks don't remember from decades ago perhaps is when my children were young my circle was very small it would take a very special reason for me to step outside of that it's like having a job there may be a couple of times a year when it requires you to work 60 hours a week but that can't be a normal practice for most families because you end up neglecting something there. But a couple of times a, a, a year, yeah, a family can handle that and everyone can get back to good routines. As children grow, their needs change. So when our children are young, they are like little sponges and they need to be fed continuously as they grow, they need attention, but perhaps not as much as before. And there reaches a time whenever leaders have more time to help others. So in qualifying elders and deacons, it's like, okay, you have young children, that's your job. That's your job first. 
as you have spare and extra time between your wife and your children, then look for someone to serve in the Lord's church. But for someone to say, well, I have to serve the Lord and everything will happen on its own at home, never ever happens. So through the years, what I learned was that my children need me less and less, and that has to be okay. And we do the best we can with our children every day that we are blessed to be with them and to be a constant influence to them, and then they have to make up their own minds. What we want to give them is an example of where we have served the Lord first. So when our kids were young, um, yes, I did take off early to go to gospel meetings, and we were there till the last dog died, and then we drove all night to get back home so I could be at work on Monday morning. Because It's not because my job was meaning that much to me, but my kids meant so much to me that I was willing to sacrifice my sleep in order to be there. I'm not alone. This building is full of brothers and sisters who've done the same thing and will continue to do so. As a preacher of the gospel, the best tool that I have had besides the word of God, of course, is the ability to plan and tools with which to plan my time. So as I have trained executives in my day job through the years, so I train young preachers, if they recall by the time they get to a certain point, is that when you're planning your schedule, schedule appointments with your children and with your wife. Because brethren will take every minute a preacher has. And that's a compliment to the preacher. And it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. At the same time, we have opportunities with our family and brethren have to understand that. So if someone says, can you come over Tuesday night? It's like, I'm sorry, I have an appointment. And if you know someone well enough, you can say, no, that's the night I do this with my kids. Or that's the night that my wife and I spend a little time together. And if brethren are understanding, they will say, oh, okay, what night do you have? If they're not understanding, don't tell them what you have scheduled. <laughs> Just simply say, I'm sorry, I have an appointment. Now that takes rigorous self-discipline, and that's why Cassie would elbow me. <laughs> because having shed a day job and being released from that, it's like, oh, I can pretend I'm 29 years old again and go forth and slay the dragons of the world. And so she is saying, well, now wait a minute, what are you going to do with me? And my grandkids are saying, wait a minute, what are you going to do with us? And my children are saying, isn't it time we spent some time together? I don't think our obligation ever ends to schedule our families as extremely important as gospel preachers. So I would suggest figure out a way to have a calendar that you can access. I don't care if it's paper or online, whatever it may be. Fill in your family, fill in your church work, and do your best to try to set a schedule that can work. Will exceptions occur? Always. The phone will ring. We can handle those. And then we get back to our disciplined approach to life. Thank you very, very much. That I, uh, makes me think of, I read, it was a book about family worship, um, I think by a man named Donald Whitney. And he writes in there about Charles Spurgeon. Now, I know we have some theological differences with Charles Spurgeon. But if you ever read that man's schedule and what he accomplished, it's amazing what the man did. But one of the things he said was six o'clock every night, Charles Spurgeon was in their sitting room with a time of reading and he would give some exposition to his children. 
And it didn't matter. Their house was always filled with people. Whoever was there was invited. But that's what he did at 6 o'clock every night. It doesn't matter how busy. And I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone here. It doesn't matter how busy we are. We have to make the time to lead our families. And so that's, thank you for the experience. And it can be done if we, if we will make the effort to do that. Are there any closing comments that you'd like to make? Just thank you to the congregation. Thank you for being patient with me through this uh, presentation. I appreciate it very much.